Good evening, everybody. Good evening, everybody. Good, good to hear you. I, I'm just so blessed to be here tonight. Um, uh, your, your pastor is a good friend of mine, and um, thank you for your kind words. You can just call me Kurt Lee, though. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's just been a, a blessing to get to know him uh, over the past year or whatever it's been, and I've taken him out to a couple of lunches and coffees and vice versa. And so for the first time meeting his lovely wife, so this is a pleasure. Uh, I, I just want to let you know that I'm really blessed by um, just the spirit of community, right, that's in this room. Uh, I was telling Adam that I think in all of my three and a half or so years of being in Dallas, that this is the first, um, uh, and I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, this is the first church I've been in, I think, in, in the Metroplex area that actually looks like a church, right? I mean, you know, it doesn't look like some huge big conference center. Uh, and, and I really uh, take that to heart because I really believe, first and foremost, that the church is primarily a community of people. And so to see your sense of community and your laughter for one another, to know when birthdays are, and to be able to say to somebody, happy birthday, and, and the kids and all of that, I just want to let you know from an outsider coming in that I so much appreciate um, the community and the warmth that I felt tonight. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, let me do this uh, because I don't want to uh, belabor, belabor my time. Uh, and later on in the, in the message, I, I will speak to my uh, Canadabamian-ness. But yes, I'm, I'm a Canadabamian. Uh, but let me, let me do this. Let me invite you to stand. Let's get right to it. Let me invite you to stand. Let me invite you to stand. And let's go to John. If you have a Bible, perhaps it will be there on the screen. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be tonight. John chapter 6. Uh, John chapter 6. And I want to read uh, in your hearing. I hope we have NIV on the screen. That's what I've got here. Um, I want to read John chapter 6, and we're going to begin with verse 1 and work our way all the way uh, to verse 21. Scripture says this, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountaintop and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in, the, in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. 
Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Stay with me, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and sat off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, watch for it, walking on the water, and they were frightened. And he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Let me pray. Father, bless us as we open your word tonight that you will encourage us and reveal to us the power of who you are and the power of your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. I, so I'm, I, I, I moved here. Uh, I know that Dallas is a, a football town. I know, you know, this is total football country. Um, as Adam mentioned, I came from Pittsburgh. Don't worry, I'm not a Steeler fan, so you, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, like, stone me immediately. Um, but, but you know, I, I, you know, I know this is a football town, but I'm just not a football guy. I'm just, I'm just not. I'm not a football guy. In fact, I'm a basketball guy. That's just, that's just what it is. And I, I never, I, I was not always a basketball person, right? I mean, I, I wasn't always in love with basketball. But then there was something that happened. I saw something amazing. And it, it, I saw something amazing. And it changed, it changed everything for me. I was too old, I was too young, rather, uh, when this happened, right? This is the 1988 dunk contest. Uh, I was maybe seven when this happened, so I really wasn't old enough to remember it. But I remember a few years later, I was complaining to a friend about how I didn't like basketball, and he pulled out the VHS. Remember what that is? He pulls out the VHS, right, and he pops in the tape, and he shows me this. And I, so when I get really excited, if you're standing next to me, like, I get really excited. I, I, I promise God this is true. I might hit you. I just might bow you. And so I remember seeing this, and I just start hitting him, right, because this is amazing. In 1988, during the dunk contest, Michael Jordan, you can show, yeah, right there. I mean, he's, he's, it's like he's walking on air. Matter of fact, it's such an amazing dunk. It's such, it, it transformed basketball. I mean, now there are shoes, right? Jordan shoes with that logo. I saw something amazing, and it changed everything. And in our story, the, the, the disciples see something amazing, and they never forget it. So the story tells us two important things. I want to start off with two, two, two things. I want you to stay with me tonight. There's two things that the story tells us. Two, two things it tells us about Jesus, okay? And then one invitation that we have, right? Two things it tells us about Jesus and one, and, and one invitation that, that, that stories uh, give us. Here's the first thing it tells us about Jesus, the story that we just read. The first thing that this story tells us about Jesus is that Jesus, watch for it, Jesus does Moses stuff. He does Moses kind of stuff. Our story begins with this large crowd who, who, after witnessing a man who has been crippled for 38 years, this crowd begins to follow Jesus. And they follow him into the wilderness. 
And the people that are following Jesus into the wilderness, they're, they're, they're hungry for change. They're, they're, they're hungry for freedom. Their souls are, are, are spiritually hungry for nourishment, but their bodies are also physically hungry. And, and so Jesus, Jesus sees this, this, this mob, right? Jesus sees this, this rabble, if you will, this, this crowd of hungry people, and he decides he's going to do something amazing. In the wilderness where there's, where there's absolutely no food, Jesus finds whatever can be found. His disciples go and they bring him two, they, they bring him five barley loaves of, of, of bread. Barley, in fact, it, I mean, this is like the lowest kind of bread you could possibly have at the time. And two small fishes. It's, it's actually the lunch of a small boy. You all are church people, most of you, you know this story. And he takes what, what, what little that they have, right? And he gives thanks to God for it. And he, and he breaks it. And then he begins to distribute it to these, these people. And pretty soon, five loaves become 50, and 50 become 5,000, and, 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 or rather 500, and 500 become 5,000, and the same thing with the, with, with, with the fish. And, 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 and pretty soon, there's, there's so much food, they feed all the 5,000-plus people, because the text says 5,000 men, right? So that means there was more, women and children. They, did, they didn't count them back then. So it's over 5,000 people that they feed, and there's so much food left over, Adam, that there's 12 baskets of food left. Jesus tangibly provides for people in the wilderness when they need it the very most. But there's one, one, one detail in, in, in the story that, that is even easily overlooked. In verse 4, John says that all of this happened during the time of the Passover. Stay with him for a little bit. Now, now Passover is, is celebrated uh, by, by all Jews, and, and the Passover, in fact, is, is the reenactment of the greatest story in Israel's history. The time of the Passover is, is, is a time when, when, when Jews gather to celebrate how God defeated their arch enemy and liberated them from Egyptian slavery and how he led them and provided for them in the middle of the wilderness. And who is the person that leads Israel during this great time? It's Moses. Moses, Moses is the one that, 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 that leads God's people and Moses does some amazing stuff. There's this one story that just after they crossed the Red Sea and the, the people are walking in the desert and they need something to drink. And so they stop by this, this pool of water. And, and as they drink the water, they can't drink it anymore because the water's bitter. And, so, and so, so they begin to start complaining to Moses. And Moses does something amazing. Moses picks up a stick. He throws it into the water. The water becomes sweet and they can drink it. Moses does some amazing stuff. Then there's this other story where, 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 where they're, 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 they're thirsty again in the wilderness, right? And they begin to complain against Moses. You took us out of Egypt. We've got nothing to drink. And so Moses goes and has this conversation with God, and then God tells him what to do. And so Moses goes to this rock, and he hits a rock, and water actually comes out of a rock for the people to drink. Moses does some amazing stuff. Then there's this other story. Of, of, of the people, this time they're hungry, and they got nothing to eat. And so they go, they have Moses, and they begin to complain. Now, I don't know how Moses did it, right? I mean, I don't know how Moses did it with all the complaining. God, I would pull all my hair out. I've got no hair. I don't know 
how we did it. There's so much complaining. And they're just complaining, complaining, complaining. We got nothing to eat. And so, and so what Moses does, he goes, he has a conversation with God. And then God, out of nowhere, provides them food to eat, manna and quail in the middle of the wilderness. Moses is credited with doing some amazing stuff. He's always providing for the people in their greatest need. And so, and so he endears himself to the people. They trust him. And then Moses says this. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. It says this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. Moses says, there's one coming who's going to be just like me. He's going to do amazing stuff, right? He's he's going to do things, and and he's going to provide for you in a way. He's going to provide for you uh, for things that you never even knew that you needed before you needed them. He's going to provide them for you. And so the the Passover, right, in the background on one hand, and, and, and this miracle of these loaves right in their face on the other hand, the people begin to figure this thing out about who Jesus is, and they immediately go to, to make him king. Look at verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. They try to make him king. Why? Because Jesus is providing for them at the time of their greatest need. The first thing that this story tells us, right, about Jesus is that Jesus does, does, does Moses stuff. And if Moses can be trusted to provide for the people, then so can Jesus. Tim, Tim Keller says, says, says this, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Jesus provides for his people in the wilderness when there's nothing to eat. He does Moses stuff. But there's something else that Jesus does. He, the first thing that we learn in the story is that Jesus does Moses stuff, right? He does what st- kind of stuff? He does what? Moses stuff. There you go, right? right? Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll get to the practical point later. He does Moses stuff, right? But the second thing we learn about Jesus, watch this. He not only does Moses stuff, watch it. Jesus does God stuff. Go back to verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake and where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark. and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the, and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not, do not be afraid. Jesus, Jesus escapes from, from people, and he, he heads off into this mountain, the story tells us, to go pray by himself. And the disciples, in the meantime, they, they sit off on a boat to go across to Capernaum on the other side of the lake. Now, there's something you have to understand about the lake of, 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 uh, of Galilee, right? It's about 12 miles long. It's about 7 miles wide. It's about 450 feet below sea level. There are mountains surrounding it on every side. So what begins to happen, the, the, the way that the typography is set up on the lake is that warm air and cool air mix, and wherever you have warm air and cool air mix, we know about this because we live in Texas, right? You can get a storm, right? And so that's why when you read the Bible, there's always all these storms going on on the Sea of Galilee because that's just how it is. There are storms that come up very, very quickly, just like in life. And so they're on their way on this boat. They're, they're about halfway through their journey or so. And, 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 and this storm 
storm, this violent storm has come out of nowhere and it ravages their boat. And then in the midst of this storm, they look off in the distance and, and, and they can look through the, the relentless rain and, and, and the wild wind that is whipping on them and they see Jesus walking towards them on the water and immediately they, they are terrified. Now, now, if it's me and I see Jesus coming towards me, I mean, I always, always kind of wondered when I read this story, why are they terrified? I mean, it's Jesus, right? I mean, why would I be terrified if Jesus is coming to me on the water? Well, the ancient Jews, uh, they didn't, they, they weren't really see people. Matter of fact, matter of fact, a matter of fact, if, if you lived during that time and you were a Jew, you thought, the ancient Jews thought that, that, that the sea was associated with evil and with chaos and with untamable natural and spiritual forces. So, when, so, so, so see the picture. When they see Jesus walking on the water towards them, they actually think, the reason why they're afraid, is they think he's a ghost or they think he's a spirit because in their minds, that's what exists on the sea, ghosts and spirits, even maybe even a demon. And that's why when Jesus comes to them and he says, he says to them, don't be, don't be afraid. And at this moment, we should all be asking ourselves the same question I think they're asking themselves. Who is this man? Because no normal human being can just walk on water. Now, now I don't know about you. I've tried to walk on water. It doesn't work. No, 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 no. Seriously, I mean, I tried it. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, and I heard this story, and I heard this story, and I got all prayed up. I got all prayed up, and I went out into the pool, and I go, and I step, and I go out to step, and I, what, what happened? I go right to the ground. No normal human being can walk on water. Who is this guy? Who is this guy that, that, can, that can heal heal the enemy of his son? Who is this guy that, 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 that heals people who, who have been, been sick for 38 years and can't walk? Who is this guy who feeds 5,000 people with a snack? No normal human being can do the kinds of stuff that Jesus does. So something else is going on here. Not only does he, does, does he do Moses stuff, he's doing something else. And then I believe, in the midst of the storm, I, I really want to believe, because they were students of Scripture, that this text came back up in their mind. Job says this, he moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillar tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. Watch it. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waters of the sea. Like the crowd before them, the disciples are beginning to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And they're beginning to see that this isn't just some man. Because only Israel's God, only Yahweh can walk on water. Only Israel's God can control the sea. Only God can control everything. Jesus is the embodiment of the creator God himself. Jesus is not only doing Moses stuff, y'all. Jesus is doing God's stuff because that's who he is. And so as a demonstration of his power, he just decides he's going to take a stroll on the water. 
because he can. As a demonstration that he is over Satan and all the powers of evil in this world, he just decides because he can that he's going to walk on water. It is, in fact, a declaration of God's power over evil the same way that God defeated Pharaoh in Egypt is the same way that Jesus can control the evil that's in this world. This is what Exodus 14 says, Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were were, were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water uh, flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. See, God had demonstrated his power over the gods of Egypt. And because he did that, he told his people, you'll never have to be afraid again. And then Isaiah says this. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom in the midst of the storm. He walks on water. Why? To demonstrate his power over evil. He comes to them and tells them, do not be afraid. Why? Because he's telling them, because I've defeated the enemy, because I've defeated evil, because I'm in control of everything, you not need be afraid of anything. I do Moses stuff. I do God's stuff. I do Moses stuff. I provide in the midst of the wilderness when there's nothing. I do God's stuff. I deliver you from chaos. Now, Curtly, you've been talking for like 20 minutes, right? You've been talking for 20 minutes. What are you talking about? Here's the invitation. Here's, the, here's, the, here's what I think the story begs us to ask. With Moses' stuff on one side, the fact that God, that Jesus can provide for us, and with God's stuff on the other side, the, the fact that, that Jesus can deliver us, here's the question for me and you. It's the same question the disciples had that night. Will we let Jesus into the boat? Will we let the one who can provide for us when we desperately need it, and the one who can deliver us from evil, will we let him into the boat? Will we let him have full control over our lives? Letting Jesus into the boat means means trusting in what Jesus can do. But if we're honest this afternoon, many of us don't even, we don't really trust in what Jesus can do. We don't really trust Jesus with the things or the people in our lives. So when personal challenges sweep, sweep upon us like, like a storm, like, like, like in the case of the disciples, most of us, if we're honest, man, look, we don't trust Jesus at all. Most of us just trust ourselves, right? We don't give Jesus full control because the first impulse that we have is to try to control the situation and to try to control people. 
So when chaos happens on our jobs and when chaos happens in our families and when chaos happens in our relationships or within ourselves, our first impulse is to try to control other people or the situation so that we don't get hurt or we don't lose what we have. But if we're going to let Jesus into the boat, if we're going to let him have full control of the situations, then we have to learn the hard lesson of loosening our grip on situations and allowing Jesus to do and change the lives that only Jesus can change. Because we all know, right, there's only certain situations that Jesus can change. Certain people, you can't change them. Certain family members, you can't change them, right? You can only allow Jesus to change them. There's a story I, I heard from, from a, a, one of my favorite preachers years ago, and I, and I never forgot it. It's a story of this little boy who, who he, his parents bought him this bird. His parents bought him a bird, like a little, a little canary, and, 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 and this boy loved that bird, and he would always be playing with the bird, right? He's always feeding the little bird. Every chance he got, he would run into his room and he, he would play with the bird and he would take the bird out of its cage and he'd say, oh man, you're so great. I, you're such a great bird. Well, one day his parents took him uh, over the summer. They took him on vacation and they were gone for a couple of weeks and they left all the food and stuff for the bird. And so the, the little boy comes back and he, as soon as he gets into the house, he takes off to go see his bird, his best friend. And he goes to, to the cage where the little bird is, and he picks up the bird, and he says, ooh, ooh, I miss you. I love you. And he started kissing the bird. Ooh, I miss you. I was gone for two weeks. I love you. And he's kissing the bird, and he's squeezing the bird, and he's kissing the bird, and he's squeezing, and he's squeezing, and he's squeezing, and he's squeezing, and he squeezes the life right out of that bird. What's the revelation? If you hold on to it, you'll kill it. Because the bird was never meant to just stay in your hand. If you hold on to that person, if you hold on to that situation, if you hold on to that thing that you're trying to control so much and start squeezing it, you're going to kill it. Because the person was never meant to be controlled. The situation was never meant to just stay in your hand. The bird was never meant to be in the hand The bird was meant to fly. The more we hold on to situations and try to hold on to them and control them, the more we miss the the opportunity for the power of God to change them. We have to trust in what the power of Jesus can do. But not only that, not only that, not only trusting if we let Jesus in the boat, you have to trust the power of what, of what Jesus can do. We also have to trust not only what the power of Jesus can do and who, what Jesus can do, but we also have to trust in who Jesus is, right? There's this, there's, this, there's this, you know, kind of feeling right now going on in contemporary Christianity, right? We have all these songs about Jesus, and if you listen to them close enough, it's almost like Jesus is my boyfriend. Like Jesus is my boo. Jesus ain't your boo. Serious. Jesus is not a ghost and he's not a spirit. Jesus is not a a great moral teacher that gives off nice ethical teachings and platitudes that we can put on a bumper sticker and stick to the back of our car to say that we're Christian, then drive down 75 and flick somebody off as we go. Right? Because that's what we do. That's not Jesus. 
Jesus is not a moral teacher. Jesus is not a ghost or a spirit. Jesus is not your boyfriend. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the express image of God. Jesus is God in the flesh who comes into the world to to restore the world to God's original intention of what it should be. Jesus lives this life of purity and holiness, and he he eats with people who we reject, and he comes beside people that we don't love. He, he, He spends time with people that we would rather really not spend time with. He goes on a cross out of love for every single person on this earth. He dies and gets up in the power of the resurrection. Why? So that those who believe in him can be resurrected too one day. Jesus ain't no joke. He's the Son of God. Trust in who Jesus is and trust in what he can do. And here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Now, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that, that when, when Jesus gets in the boat and that when we begin to trust in who Jesus is and, and what Jesus can do, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that it's going to be peaches and cream. Because to be honest with you, I mean, it's probably going to get harder, to be honest with you. Just being honest. But I promise you two things. I promise you that if you let Jesus really into the boat, if you really let him start taking control of some situations because you believe that he does Moses stuff and he does God's stuff, if you really let Jesus into the boat, I promise you two things. Number one, I promise you he'll never leave you alone in the boat. I promise you he won't. And here's the second thing I can promise you. Not only that Jesus will not leave you alone in the boat, I can promise you this. That if you let Jesus into the boat, and you let him into some situations and some stuff that you've got going on that you kept away from him, I promise you this, that you might find yourself closer to shore faster than you think. That's what happens to the disciples. We go back and read the Bible. They let him into the boat, and then the passage says, they immediately reach the shore. Because situations that we're in are nothing for the power of God. Situations that we face are nothing for God's presence and power. Because he'll never leave you. And you'll find yourself closer to shore than when you thought. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, before I do, let me, let me tell you this. I, I grew up, I grew up a, uh, a Canada-Bamian, right? <laughs> I was the last of, I'm the last of three children. My parents divorced when I was very when I was very young. I don't even remember my dad in the house. I remember the fighting that led to the divorce, but I don't I don't I don't remember my dad in the house. I'm sorry for the sweat. And uh, my mother moved us all down from from Toronto, Canada, to to Alabama. And I remember when she told us that we were moving. I remember just thinking. Uh, is this just going to be cows down there? That's what I thought. Are we just, just going to be cows? And there were. There were a lot of cows. There were. I mean, I, there just were. And, and, and 
My mother moved us down to Alabama, three black children. The statistics for a single uh, black single mother with three children, males at that, not very good, just being honest. And I remember, I remember, I remember we, we, lived, in, we lived in poverty for a while. We, we went through so many difficult situations. I even remember at the public school that I went to, somebody telling me I would be nothing but a garbage man. I remember that. I had problems reading in second grade, couldn't read. Matter of fact, my mother held me back. I had to do second grade twice. So many hard situations. And my mother, in her wisdom and in God's blessing, kept Jesus, kept putting him, inviting him into the boat. We kept coming back to prayer. We kept coming back to his word. And here's what happened. We went through season after season and and difficulty after difficulty. But here's what happened, y'all. Jesus never left us. And pretty soon, the storms ended. And we found ourselves on the other side of the boat. Why I tell you that other side of the shore? I tell you that story to tell you this. By time to tell you my life story, I'm a living example. Not perfect, God knows, but I'm a living example. When Jesus is in the boat, there will be situations that are so far beyond your control. But he won't leave you. And you'll get to the other side. Who believes in the Word of God? Pray with me. Father, You do amazing things. You provide for us in the middle of the wilderness when we have nothing. You deliver us from the chaos that surrounds us through your power, through your cross. We pray now, Lord, that you will strengthen us to let you have even a greater control over our lives than we did before we walked in this room. Show us the things in our lives that we must release into your hand. And when we do, show us your presence. When we do, lift us to the other side so that we may know that you have not abandoned us. And that though the storms may beat upon us, though the the chaos may swirl around us, that we know a God who walks over the chaos and who silences it. Because you are our Savior and our Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray.